Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Okay, brothers and sisters, welcome to another episode of Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. We're towards the end of October, which means we're getting ready for November, which means for the Thomas Nation, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, you know why I'm not the worship leader at church, (laughs) but we certainly do love uh, Thanksgiving all the way up to Christmas. And, you know, brothers and sisters, it's really important that we have these sort of holidays. um, Just we, we sort of use them as Ebenezer stones, you know, a time that uh, we get to reflect and, you know, kind of creates a certain rhythm in life. You know, life gets so busy and just takes over and it's just good, you know, just to stop, to come together as a family and, you know, have times of celebration, times of feast, times to fellowship and communicate. And we really do take advantage of that. Uh, Starting with Thanksgiving, we really make it a really big deal. And when Destiny was convincing me, Dad, you got to do this podcast, she she said, Dad, just think of yourself, you know, sitting around with the family and do what you do. (laughs) You know, now, obviously, I don't have my family around me. I do have Caleb, though, my son. He's here. Uh, Destiny's not as a little under the weather. But he's helping me along here. And, you know, it is hard. I'm, you know, I'm looking at a computer. I'm speaking into a microphone. But my kids grew up, you know, each year, you know, we would put a lot of creating a major feast at Thanksgiving. Um, my sons, they would do football games. You remember those, Caleb? <laughs> we would do football games. It was the Pilgrims versus the Indians. And like tackle football. So my sons would get all their broskies and their friends and all my daughters would be the cheerleaders. I would be the referee. I literally had like a referee uniform with a whistle. You know, I was like a legend in my own mind kind of thing. (laughs) And um, but yeah, they would play hardcore tackle, get all beat up and bruised. And and then, you know, we'd come back home, bind up the wounds and. Before we ate, I would sit around uh, with my children and my grandchildren about me, and I would retell the story of our pilgrim forefathers and foremothers and what they endured to advance the kingdom of God in the new world. And then we would kind of sit around and we just go around the room and ask each child and grandchild, what are you, what are you grateful for? 
What are you thankful for? And we would declare those things and we would do what the scripture says and everything. Give thanks to Almighty God. Now, notice the difference. It didn't say give thanks for all things because some things are not pleasant. Some things are difficult. But it's in all those things we should still give thanks to Almighty God. And You know, one of the um, distinctions we do also at our Thanksgiving celebration is we set aside a plate with five kernels of corn. You might want to do a, a Google search on that, five kernels of corn. I think there's poems about it. But in essence, um, during that first brutal winter where half the company of the pilgrims uh, perished, um, they survived on five kernels of corn. And so we as a family kind of, you know, put that sacrifice in remembrance and um, talk about, you know, the adversity that the pilgrims went through and how they overcame by their faith and love of Christ. So it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, before I begin, I do want to quote this passage of scripture from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 59, 21. And these are some of the scriptures or one of the scriptures that I continually pray over my family, my children, my grandchildren, and hopefully I'll live long enough to see my great-grandchildren. But this is the word of the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. And so again, brothers and sisters, we use the Thanksgiving celebration as that time to reconnect, to really get together as a family, uh, to celebrate what's really important in this life and in the life to come. And we want to build a multi-kingdom generation, you know, vision that is passed from one generation to the next. And so I would encourage you parents to know that passage of scripture and pray it over your children and your grandchildren. Okay, so now I'm going to ask the question, who do you think is the greatest generation of Americans? Um, Tom Brokaw used to be NBC anchorman. He really believed the World War II generation was the greatest generation of Americans, and I could understand why they survived and overcame the Great Depression and World War II, fought a war on two theaters, the European theater and the Pacific theater, and overcame and, and brought victory to the world. So I could understand, yeah, they, they would definitely be in the mix. Um, some, I think, would consider our founding fathers, um, the ones that fought the Revolutionary War, uh, that gave us the Declaration of Independence, the, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. But I don't think most people understand 
what the pilgrim generation, what they went through to make our nation a city on a hill and a light to the nations. Because uh, they're, they're the ones who carved out the kingdom of God on these shores. And so I want to go a little bit through their testimony that you understand uh, the many hardships they had to go through uh, to come to the new world. Well, initially the pilgrims were known as the separatists. Uh, that was the label that the Church of England gave to them. And one of the struggles that the separatists was going through was King Henry VIII, when he did not get permission from the Catholic Church to divorce and marry another woman that would give him sons, well, he decided to cut ties with the Catholic Church and become both Pope and King and literally created a state-run Christian religion. Well, that was a bridge too far for these pilgrims, for these separatists. They believed that was not biblical. Uh, they believed that there was a true separation of church and state, not according to any founding document, but according to the scriptures. And that's what they wanted to live their life by. Well, apparently the powers that be thought this was a great threat to the Church of England. And so, you know, they were monitored, they were persecuted, uh, they were watched, uh, they were jailed, uh, they were constantly being threatened while they were living in Scrooby, England. And so they decide after a while living in these conditions where they were truly longing for religious freedom and liberty, they decided to try to escape to Holland. They believed they could achieve religious freedom and liberty in Holland. And so here's these group of separatists, these pilgrims, you know, these are men, you know, husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, children, and uh, just with this longing, uh, to be free to worship God in spirit and in truth. So they endeavor uh, to escape the persecution in England and find freedom in Holland. Well, they tried uh, two attempts, and both uh, were failure to a certain degree. On the, on the first attempt, you, you got to imagine this, they uh, gather with all their goods, they hired a captain um, to pick them up on the coastline in, in, uh, in England. And uh, apparently the captain sold them out. So here you have these pilgrims who raised this money to buy, you know, this ship to bring them from England to Holland. And they, they go to the shore with all their stuff, all their belongings, everything they want to take to Holland and they believe this captain is going to act in good faith. Well, lo and behold, he betrays them. And so while they're on the shore, down comes the king's men. They just swoop down on them, arrest the men, throw them in jail. And then here's these wives and these children with their stuff left on the seashore. Obviously, that was a tremendous blow 
to their dreams for freedom, for liberty. So the men ended up staying in jail for quite some time. Obviously, the wives and children suffered incredible deprivation while their men were away, um, not able to work and provide for them. So there was a time of intense struggle. But when the men get out, their dream uh, was still vibrant. Their, their dream was still strong in their soul. They wanted freedom. And so they attempt another escape from England to Holland. This time they do find uh, a captain with good character. Um, they pay him. They, they make the same arrangements. And so here they come again, once again, with their stuff, the, what's left of their belongings, you know, the husbands, the wives, the children that are ashore. You know, here comes the captain with the ship. And so they're using rowboats. The men are using rowboats to get all their stuff, all their belongings on the boat before the women and children um, come on the boat. Well, as fate would have it, as the men are loading their belongings on the ship, somehow the king's men find out they're trying to escape. And so they swoop down, except this time the captain is seeing these king's men come and he doesn't want to get caught because he can get into a lot of trouble with the king uh, if he's found out aiding their escape. And so here's the men, the pilgrims that are on the ship watching the king's men swoop down on their wives and their children, and there's nothing they can do to help them because the, the, the captain is not going to shore. He's taking off. And so you could just imagine, seriously, like if you're a husband and a father, and there's your wife and your children, and the king's men swooped down her and took them away. And they're heading out to sea. I could only imagine, you know, how their hearts were broken by this. Um, but they end up going to Holland. And now the wives and the children are stuck behind in England. I don't know for how long, but it was for a little while. And again, these wives and children had to suffer incredible a deprivation during this trying time. But eventually, the king of England relents, and he allows the wives and the children to go to Holland to reunite with their husbands and their fathers. And so here are the pilgrims with their pastor, John Robinson. They're, they're getting established in Leiden, Holland, and they're experiencing religious freedom. Um, and they stayed in Holland for about 12 years. Now, as they began to get acclimated in Holland, they began to realize a few things. A, they did achieve what they were looking for. They did find religious freedom. But as the years went on, there were some huge struggles as Englishmen living in Holland, and one of the, there were several reasons why they would start to discuss, like, hey, should we stay here in Holland 
and enjoy religious liberty? Or should we think about moving somewhere else? Because here's what they were dealing with, brothers and sisters. While they were in Holland, um, they really, they, they sensed that they were losing a lot of their English heritage, you know, their language, their customs. Um, they were also struggling um, the same kind of work and livelihood that they had in England. They could not find jobs like that in Holland. And so the workload was very intense. And not only did it impact the adults, but even the children had to work. And so they're literally watching their children grow old before the time, literally becoming decrepit. And that was the word they used to describe their children. Now, the children, they love the Lord. They love their parents. And they didn't mind joining in on their work. But the parents' hearts were breaking for their kids, you know, by this burden just to survive. But the greatest struggle they had of all was the souls of their children. So apparently, as they began to grow up, the culture of Holland was calling these children, and they were starting to defect from the faith. And that was, again, a bridge too far for these pilgrims. Their hearts literally were breaking for the plight of their young as they were growing up and sort of being captured by the Holland culture. So that's when they began to really like sit down as a group and discuss the different options. And so here it was. A, we can stay in Holland, enjoy religious freedom and liberty, and continue to lose our kids to this culture, or we could hazard incredible hardships and go to the new world. And as they're discussing it, they're being, they're very honest. You you can read about it in the Plymouth Plantation, their discussions, because they're, they're talking about like, well, if we do hazard this trip, we're going to get on a boat and it will be a long journey across the Atlantic Ocean And there's a possibility some of us might die. And then they thought about, yeah, and we'll go to this new world and we'll probably eat food and drink water that we're not accustomed to. And we might get sick and we might die. And then, you know, how do we tame the wilderness and establish churches and homes? And, you know, how do we provide shelter for our families. Like these were the discussions. And then they talked about, you know, there's probably Indians over there. Some of them that are not friendly. Um, They might be fierce Indian tribes that will attack them and they might die. And so, you know, this is the discussion. You, You need to understand that. Like if you're in their shoes, Ma Pa Christian, And these are your choices. What do you do? But what I want you to see, the souls of their children meant so much to them that they were willing to go on a perilous journey, knowing 
that some of them might die in order to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and to train them up in the way they should go so when they're old they won't depart from the faith. This was a deep concern for them. And so they decide to go on this journey. And so they become indentured servants, literally. Um, They kind of sold themselves into slavery to raise the finances they need to come to the new world. And so, sorry about that. So here they go. They, they, they're embarking on this journey. They had two ships. One was the Speedwell, and it wasn't seaworthy. It delayed them a few times. It leaked. And, um, and so they, had, they, they would start. They'd come back, start, you know. And, um, and so some of the pilgrims that were willing to come to the new world uh, because of the failure of Speedwell remained with John Robinson in the congregation in Holland. And then as many as pilgrims that could fit on the Mayflower came over uh, to the new world. Now, here's the thing. God works in the storm. You can read about it in Psalm 107, how God uses the storm to fulfill his purposes in men's life. So on the way over uh, across the Atlantic, there was actually two major storms One, where they almost lost a soul, he fell over. Fortunately, he grabbed the rope and pulled himself in. But then there was another major storm where the entire ship was was in danger of sinking. The mast actually broke. And what was interesting, they they were thinking about, like, what to bring, what to leave behind. And they had some, like, printing screw kind of deal. And they almost did not bring it with them because it was too heavy. Well, that's what saved their life because they used that printing screw to lift the mast back into place and to repair it. But it was during that storm where they got knocked off course. They, they had papers from the King of England to set up shop near Jamestown. That was the first English colony. So that's the papers that they had. That was the governing authority papers to set up a community in Virginia. Well, this storm completely knocks them off course. And they end up in the northeast of the United States of America. And eventually they land in Plymouth Harbor. Now, you got to picture this. Brothers and sisters, all during the journey, the sailors were calling the pilgrims psalm singing pukes. They did two things on this journey. They prayed, they worshiped the Lord, they sang psalms, and they threw up. It, it was a, the, the conditions upon that boat you could not imagine. The darkness, the stank, the, the cramped quarters, the sanitation was a nightmare. And they were on this ship for two months. So they finally get to Plymouth Harbor. But here's the thing. They had papers just for Virginia. They had no governing paper for Massachusetts where they landed. And so they decided before they would disembark 
to get on land. Because I got to tell you, if, it, if I was in that ship for two months and we're near land, I'm jumping off. I'm going to go to that ground. I'm going to kiss that ground and I'm going to thank God. But they would not leave that ship until they had an official agreement, a governing political document on how they were going to live together in Massachusetts. Because what you have to understand, brothers and sisters, it wasn't just pilgrims that came across on this journey. There was also sailors and there were men of fortune seeking gold in the new world. And so obviously different persuasions, spiritually, ideologically, you know, and what was their motive for being there? And I'll go into more about that with the pilgrims. But they understood, hey, if we're going to live together as a community, we got to set some rules on how we're going to govern ourselves. And that's what led to the Mayflower Compact. And I'm going to have my daughter, Destiny, uh, put a copy of that in the, the description with this podcast. Take a look at it, brothers and sisters, because this is one of our first official political documents in America. And what you'll find when you go through it, the Lord God is mentioned several times. It actually starts off in the name of God. Amen. It talks about having undertaken this journey for the glory of God. Hold on to that. Now, and watch this. In advancement of the Christian faith. See, the pilgrims and the Christians of that era, there was no neglecting, abandoning, and retreating from culture, from society, from men and nations. They believed they existed to advance the Christian faith. Wish to God Christians of this era understood and had that same commitment to advance the Christian faith in the world. It also says that they're doing this, they're solemnly and mutually doing this in the presence of God. And then, that's yeah, that's pretty much it. So it talks about the name of God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the Christian faith, and in the presence of God. Now remember, this is not an ecclesiastical document. This is one of our first official political documents that upholds and honors Almighty God uh, in this community. And so that's critically important. And so the Mayflower Compact eventually becomes um, the Connecticut Constitution. Now, I grew up in Connecticut. That's the state I grew up with uh, in. And it's called the Constitutional State. Well, you know, the, the pilgrims who came were followed by the Puritans, and the Puritans settled Connecticut and in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, literally, how, how Connecticut got its laws is that the pastors would preach God's commandment from the pulpit, and that actually became the governing laws of Connecticut. That developed the Connecticut Constitution, which eventually developed into the United States Constitution, but we can trace it all back to the Mayflower Compact.
So, why did the pilgrims come to America? Well, if you ask most Christians today, they believe the standard fare is they came here again for religious freedom and worship. They believe they came here because they were being persecuted by the Church of England. Well, that may have some sentimental value, but that is not the reality. That is not the facts. That is not the truth. That's why it's important that you read Plymouth Plantation, and I'll also have a link to that in this podcast. Really would encourage you uh, to, to get that. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to conclude this podcast with a quote by by the pilgrims. They came here for a lot of reasons. And when you read Plymouth Plantation, uh, you'll find out um, all that they discussed and all that they endured uh, to carve out the kingdom of God on these shores to advance the Christian faith. But here, here is a quote by Bradford. William Bradford wrote Plymouth Plantation. And again, this is our history book as Americans. And in the next podcast, I'm going to talk about the history of our history book. It's, 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 it's amazing. It truly is what happened to that book, how we had it, how we lost it, how we recovered it. It's an amazing story in and of itself. And I'm also going to be talking about Squanto, um, the American Joseph, and how it was his uh, meeting the pilgrims that helped them to survive and overcome that led to the first Thanksgiving feast. I'll go more into that on the next episode. But I want you to listen to Bradford. He says, lastly, in which was not the least, a great hope and inward zeal they had of laying some good foundation, or at least to make some way thereunto, now listen, for the propagating and advancing of the kingdom of Christ in those remote, remote parts of the world, yea, though they should be even as stepping stones unto others, for the performing of so great a work. My good friend, Reverend Flip Benham, he would speak a lot when he would call us to rescue those unjustly sentenced to death. He would talk, he'd talk about husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, throwing themselves on the barbed wire of life so our children could run over our backs to hit the bullseye for their life, to fulfill uh, their vision and mission, their God-ordained purpose for being in this world. And so Bradford, he truly believed that when the pilgrims arrived in the new world, that they were just mere stepping stones that others could follow that would advance the kingdom of God and the Christian faith in the world. Now, there's a Christian song that I 
believe kind of sums up that heartfelt commitment of those courageous souls who went before us. It's called, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Listen to these words, because this really captures the essence of thanksgiving. Why we should be thankful. Why we should be thankful for these Christian forefathers and Christian foremothers. All the adversity they endured to pass on to us the greatest nation this world has ever known. And I know we've had our warts. I know we've had our national sins and abominations. But clearly, the Lord blessed this nation. And a lot of it is due to the faith and love of these pilgrim forefathers. And so this is what that song says. Let those who come behind us Find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Well, brothers and sisters, the pilgrims faced incredible adversity. They hazarded their lives. They fought many battles from within and from without. And I'll share even next time how they were tempted some to leave. But they would not give up. They would not give up. They stuck it out with a lot of grit, a lot of faith. They pushed through. They overcame. And God did bless them. Brothers and sisters, I know we're living in a different era. And we are facing maybe different challenges in dark and tumultuous times. And I just got to tell you, whatever the Lord put in them, that needs to be in us. Remember, the reason why they came to the new world was to rescue their children from a pagan culture. Think about that, Ma and pa Christian in America, when at this time, Christians are sending their children off to government-sponsored indoctrinating centers that are teaching them anti-Christ philosophies, promoting sexual immorality, the homosexual agenda, agenda, the transgendered movement, this being shoved down the throats of our children, Do we have the same heart as the pilgrims did for their kids? Would we sacrifice? Would we endure hardship? Would we go on a hazardous journey to make sure our children did not defect from the faith and stayed faithful to the Lord? That is a question I believe each and every one of us needs to answer in these days. So perhaps... When it comes to Thanksgiving, maybe you need to have that conversation. Maybe you need to seek the Lord while you're giving thanks, while you feast. You might want to remember why we celebrate Thanksgiving. A lot of it centered on Christian parents. 
wanting to protect their Christian young. That's part of how we got the United States of America. I believe we need to have that same heart today. So, saints, that's the end of this podcast. I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Um, And I do pray that you, uh, maybe some of the things I talked about, like what our family does uh, at Thanksgiving would be a blessing to your family. Um, But anyway, we'll do one more episode. We're going to talk about, again, Plymouth Plantation in Squanto. And until that time, keep pressing on, saints, to the high call of prize in Jesus' name. God bless you.